Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Mark Watson. And I'm Michael Tacrobetti. Welcome to Mankind. We talk to a fantastic range of guests about, well, masculinity. Where does it come from? What does it mean? And what is it? Basically. Every week we loosely, very loosely, sometimes very loosely talk about issues around maleness, gender identity, that sort of thing. What makes people people, really? Exactly. Hello. Your old friend Mark Watson here. You know, sometimes I introduce the episodes. People have said they're actually their favourite intros. Well, uh, here I am again to tell you about this week's guest on Mankind. It is Sean Davis, a uh, very accomplished comedian and a major force in comedy. Uh, We talked to her, well, no spoilers, but she was doing quite a number of other things at the time. She still made space for this episode. Hope you enjoy it. I'm Mark Watson. Michael Chakraverti is to my right-hand side, and uh, once again, I've decided I'll open, because Michael gets those jitters uh, <laughs> early in the day. Um, we're lucky enough to have, via Zoom, the uh, talented and multifaceted Sean Davis. Hi, Sean. Hello. Hello. Well, I'm going to ask you, uh, as we always do ask guests, to describe who you are, what you do, and also where you're, where you're calling from. We don't always do that, but I think it's part of who is it's kind of an important part of who you are in your case. Uh, so I'm Sean Davis. I am a comedian and all the other things that go with that, I suppose. Uh, the, the multifaceted <laughs> things that you that you so speak of. Uh, I'm also the founder of Best in Class, which is a crowdfunded profit-sharing initiative that champions working-class comedians and gets them to perform at the Edinburgh Fringe. And I am ringing you from my living room in Liverpool. Yeah. Me. And behind you, you've got a what, what looks like either either you're a fan of a person named David or a trophy from Dave. I can help with that. The uh, Shan's Initiative Best in Class, uh, the the thing which helps working class comedians, won an award uh, at the, well one of the three awards at the Edinburgh Fringe last year. So you year. should have said award winning at the title at the beginning of what you said there. Shan was too modest. Oh, yeah, yeah. award winning, <laughs> multifaceted. Well, you can sort of say award winning you know, in a blurb or something, but if you walk around saying it, you, you do come across Why not? a bit that's, of a dick. That's, that's a very British thing. Americans would walk around saying, yes, I'm an award winner. Totally. You, you can yeah, shake I'm hands with American comic. Yeah. my neck, to be honest. <laughs> that's the spirit. <laughs> and it is true. Half the American comics I've ever met would shake your hands and say, hi, I'm the award winning comedian. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you should start that, Shan. See, see how it goes. See how many friends you make. There are quite a few potential interesting subplots here. We're talking to Shan about her relationship with masculinity, but also... 
without going into details, she's doing a separate job which could come up uh, during the uh, chat. And also, there was a dog that might start barking. So there's loads going on here. We're, nice we're to excited. Have a little bit of adrenaline, the king's <laughs> yeah. office, isn't it? Um, <laughs> he, he is a boy dog. If that helps, he's you know he's he's masculine. Uh, of <laughs> oh my god! Oh, there we go. There, there is. Go. There you go. Oh my god! <laughs> Hang on a minute. This is great. I mean, I, that was. Perfect. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, Shan, there's, there's being proudly working class and then there's literally working while you're doing the podcast. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll be honest with you, that phone has not rang all morning. That's a first time. That's perfect. What I love, though, time. is that for listeners, they'll have no idea what the second job is. You could be a drugs <laughs> mule. You could be working for the local, like, for the local, I don't know, the tip. We often, uh, well, we actually nearly always. It's not often. It is every, yeah, every, every time. Day. We like to ask people... Um, and just based on the stuff you're talking about on stage at the moment, I think you already have quite a number of answers to this. Uh, what does masculinity mean to you? What do you think of when you hear the word or the, the notion? I think it's kind of, um, to me, the traditional sort of thing of masculinity is your dad and your granddad and your cousins and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm also very aware that as um, quite a, a butch woman, that my own interpretation of masculinity is, is different, you know, and, and that's kind of what I'm trying to explore at the moment on stage and, like, with, with this new piece of work. Like, um, the whole sort of thing of, like, am I... Do I like boys' things because um, because I'm butch or am I butch because I like boys' things? And, like, it's just getting to the bottom of that. Like, I've always, since I was a child, like, I've always identified more with with the male characters. So, you know, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be Danny Zuko, not Sandy when I watched Grease, you know, I was always like He-Man and not She-Ra. And it's like, what, like, it's really interesting as to why that, like, am I like that? Because there was no representation of people yeah. like me. Um, you know, if we'd have had a, a, a queer butch woman cartoon character when I was a child, would I have been so heavily invested in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Or, you know, would I have, <laughs> would I have found my own role model? <laughs> to be fair, most of us were pretty heavily invested in those turtles for a while. It was hard to get away from it. I think all of us were, yeah, for a phase. Yeah, absolutely. Big part of my life. Big part Although of my we've, life. we've been doing this podcast for quite a while, um, we've not had many people who would describe themselves as butch. Yeah, I was about to say, how would you, I, what, what, how would you define that? Yeah, I was going to ask that, basically, because I, I don't feel like I have that much real-life experience of like beyond a sort of very generic word that people use, sometimes disparagingly. I'm interested in what butch means to you. Yeah, I think it can be a bit of a dirty word sometimes, and people don't really want to describe themselves in that way. Like, you know, it sort of accompanies uh, like a butch dyke. It kind of, you know, they go hand in hand, don't Definitely. they? Definitely. I, I sort of instinctively think of it as an insult, weirdly, as a straight guy. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I think um, in a way it's almost like I'm trying to reclaim that and trying to say, well, you know, yeah, I... I do like more masculine things, so maybe I would identify as butch. Um, I I don't know really, but I guess it's being more more on the masculine side of the spectrum, but still definitely consider myself to be a woman. Yeah, I, I don't really know myself. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was going to say. Work it, out. I mean. it sounds like a fascinating show and it also sounds like uh, it would be a really good production company that took something like that on um <laughs> how long have you been wrestling with this stuff uh like it's it's interesting to me that you're, you're addressing these things on stage now but presumably that they have to have been sort of swilling around your your head and your psyche for a long time absolutely i feel like i've i've always 
always wrestled with with things around this and like you know i think sexuality and gender um they're not the same they're, they're different things but there is some overlap and there is um you know for me like my butch identity and my lesbian sexuality there's a sort of I guess like a, a symbiotic kind of relationship there w with the two of them. And like, as I say, I've not really figured that out fully myself, um, but it is something that I've always sort of been aware of. Like, you know, I, as a kid, I was brought up in quite a, I guess, traditionally working class environment in the, um, it, it was very matriarchal. So like my mom was the middle one of five girls. So, um, you know, my childhood was just, just all the aunties being like a another version of each other just you know <laughs> everyone telling off everyone else's kids everyone you know just all of me nan and granddad's house and like and the dads just sort of you know popped in for 10 minutes and didn't sit down because they weren't staying and then they went to the pub so it was kind of <laughs> it was very sort of um that was my impression of 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 women and what women did and like my mom and my aunties and people like that and i never really felt I could identify with that I was always more like I don't know if I just always wanted to be in the pub or you could be forgiven for not wanting to just be an, an endless auntie <laughs> yeah but I always just sort of um wanted to be more like I never saw myself in that vein that wasn't the life that I wanted and whether that's just that I was kind of just have bigger ambitions of doing different stuff or whether, you know, I, I just didn't see role models like me out there or, or what it was, but. And what yeah. qualities about, the, about those people did you kind of not identify with so much? It's hard to say. I think that um, the sort of softness of, of being a mother um, of, you know, wiping faces and cooking dinners and things like that and being in, I guess perpetual lifetime of servitude just didn't really. Yeah. That sums up pretty well, to be fair. That I was, that I was <laughs> to do, you know what I mean? A lot of unpaid labour with that life. Yeah, <laughs> now like, that you mention it, I I wonder why I didn't have kids. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> Whereas, like you know, my my uncle was working on the railway. My dad worked away at sea, so he had like this life of adventure. He was you know away for three months, and then he'd come back with all these stories and this different stuff that he'd done. And like you know, I just felt more like that. You know that that's what I want to do. <laughs> I don't want to be making fish fingers. Like, but presumably there was. Well, no, I this is an assumption. Actually, it might not be the case, but there wasn't any. There were no other signs of queerness in the in the family unit. You, you didn't see any. There wasn't an obvious alternative to to that life that you've described. No. So um, until me within my family, there, there's no known um, no known queers. I was the first, <laughs> the first one. They're all ground. <laughs> We know they're out there. We know they're out there somewhere, but... Yeah, I mean, my granddad did used to call my older cousin the queer fella. Um, I think that was that was a slur, if anything. Um, it doesn't sound like he was saying it as a compliment. No, he was just sort of known as that, really. My two older cousins, the queer fella and the professor, he used to call them. <laughs> it's like in prison or something, isn't it? That sounds like a, yeah. like a TV show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably on uh, ITVB. Uh, <laughs> daily <laughs> yeah I, I love the guy who plays a professor but I'm not as fond of the queer fella <laughs> I'm just thinking about you kind of going up looking kind of outside rather than looking inside for what you might want to be and who you might be how did you kind of articulate that at the time or did, or did you just kind of push it away and pretend 
to make the fish fingers instead? Well, I think that as as a young child, I very much just sort of got on with it and just was who I was. Like there's, you know, I um I didn't really realize that I, that I was saying things or doing things that weren't the right thing. So like, you know, I would like I got all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for Christmas one year and it was amazing. And like, you know, my my younger cousin will will still say to this day, he was jealous of me because <laughs> I, I had them and he didn't. And right, like, rightly. you know, I, well, yeah. I mean, I even like, there's a photo of me one Christmas wearing like, wearing like chinos and a shirt, like, like boys clothes for Christmas day. And I remember that being like a, a big deal. I remember like saying to my mom, I wanted to wear this and my mom saying, yeah, okay. And like, we went and got them and she had to get the trousers taken off and all of this. But like, I look so happy in that picture. And like, then I guess later on, as I was in secondary school, I went to like an all girls school and probably tried to conform an awful lot more than, um, than was probably right. <laughs> that was definitely right, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and probably pushed that masculine side of myself away. But then, it's kind of like you come full circle and now like I you know I look at those clothes like the clothes I got in my wardrobe now and and the picture of me in those chinos and a shirt and it's exactly the same exactly the same yes. but, you know I just I'm finally living the life that eight-year-old me wanted <laughs> there are these moments in life where you look back at a photo of yourself 30 years ago and it's just one facial expression tells you something there's quite one of in- me wearing a top yeah. no trousers and a pair of my mum's heels and I look thrilled <laughs> that was what they call a tell <laughs> who knew apparently everybody <laughs> well yeah everyone apart four. from you yeah. <laughs> um, it's really interesting actually thinking about you at an all girls school because we speak to loads of people um over 50 people but lots of people talk about going to an all boys school and how the um there's a, a certain kind of idea of masculinity they have to conform to at that boys' school. But you're the first person I think we've spoken to who went to an all girls school. I think that is true. We haven't talked about what single sex education is like for girls. No, and also there therefore you kind of have to do the opposite where you have to kind of push is it right to say that you have to push the push the masculinity away rather than conform to it? Yeah, I I would say definitely like, you know, you it was it was a big school as well. So you know we were surrounded by we had like I guess about I don't know, we had like 10 forms in our year. So 10 forms of 30 kids is what, 300, 300 kids ten, in a year group. like that, 10 you know, forms was, in a year? I don't, you're saying lots of words. This yeah, is an English it, system, it I don't understand it. Sorry, Michael. Uh, I think Sean and I are more similar age than, than... Michael's young and in a minute you're going to find out. Well, no, I went. I just went to school in Scotland. That's what we're talking about. It's not talking about my age. Oh, you just don't have the word... <laughs> no, but so often these things are about your age. And when we start talking about the Smiths, there's going to be a yawning gap yeah, between our cultural references as usual. But yeah, sorry, Michael. Uh, form just means class, as in like... Sure. Your, but... Typically, there'd be, I don't know, three or four forms in a year as a normal size school. Ten, it's like 300 kids in one year group. Is and how many year groups are in a school? It depends on the school, but like yeah. in a secondary school, maybe six. That's so six, that, six 300s. That's a colossal, yeah. It'd be, yeah. It'd be five year groups. Right. Yeah. Form. Yeah. Five year groups plus oh, form. So um, it, it was a big, big school. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of girls, a lot of women, a lot of female yeah. energy, a lot of. Um, a lot of hormones, a lot of quite sort of catty, bitchy kind of horrible behaviour. But also, I don't know, like it was quite, I wouldn't say it was a really rough school, but it was certainly like, it wasn't a great <laughs> school, you know, it was, um, it was in, you know, 
it was in Liverpool in in the nineties, and it was like it was just sort of I thought it was the experience everyone was having, but like it's only afterwards you realise that no, no, it amused me because you know Ofsted make you that you know inspect schools and the schools say outstanding or good outside them. It, it amuses me to walk past a school and their banner says. Not a rough school, but not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the cusp of roughness, yeah, I'd yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> Ofsted has rated this school just about getting away with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, I guess it was kind of, you know, it, it was a very, you know, female-dominated place. Like, you know, most of the teachers were female. There were a few male teachers. And I actually, you know, I found that most of them were great. But it was very sort of... If, if you didn't conform and fit into it, like I, I remember it just always being, um, you know, you wouldn't want anyone to think mm. you were a lesbian under any circumstances, you know. And at that point in my life, I didn't really know that I was one. I just knew that, it, you know, if anyone thought that I was, whether I was or I wasn't, then, you know, your life would be over kind of thing. So you just sort of, you would do anything to just conform and fit in. And I guess, you know, I was at school, I left school in 1998. So I guess that, you know, Section 28 was still, still doing its job and uh you know there was no sort of no exploration of a life beyond anything other than marrying a man and having children yeah i think it's really interesting um coming back to the idea of butch as well is that you grew up before school in quite a matriarchal environment and then went to an all-female environment and that's kind of at odds to this sense of this kind of draw towards the masculine qualities that you that you have where did you kind of start to find them from and when was that I mean I don't really know like I think so as kids there was like my mom and my auntie they had their children really close together so there were six of us as cousins and we were all always together either in our house in my mom in, in my auntie's house or in my nan and granddad's house every weekend and it was like our Louise and our Vicky, they were the older two, the two girls. Then there was our David, then there was me, then there was our Andrew, then there was our Christopher. So it was kind of like they, the two girls went off and played together and then I just played with the boys. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that was just the way it was or whether because I was playing with them, I was more into the boys' stuff or, you, you know. caught I, it from but them. But I wouldn't have dreamed of going and playing with bloody girls' world or whatever with, with Vicky and Louise. Like, that would have yeah. been a nightmare. I was, like, playing army or whatever with the lads. Like, that was just, By the, well, we have <laughs> just quite, the way it was. We have quite a lot of non-UK uh, listeners, and they, they might not be aware of this, but what we've just heard is, oh. um, yeah, very interesting, like, traditional mostly northern british speech tick where you refer to your family members as our dave our andrew our chris and lovely as i've come to have quite a lot of friends who are were born in the north raised in the north i've come to think it does tell you something about the way a lot of northern communities do see family like it is a more integrated thing they actually mean it when they say our andrew i've only thought about it recently but it is interesting that sense of we're all in this together even if whether we like each other or not is i find it quite an impress it's not purely a working class thing but i do think it's more prominent in the north that mentality yeah yeah for sure yeah definitely i think like that you know I, i don't know if other families have this but like we you know we spent a lot of time together as kids and growing up and then now as adults like we we rarely see each other but whenever we're together the dynamic is is just restored straight <laughs> away. Like it, it's our Vicky and our Louise are in charge. They'll be telling us off and what we can and can't do. We'll all be messing about, like getting dirty when we shouldn't be or doing something stupid. And our Christopher, who's the youngest, is just getting picked on. Like he's 
He's nearly forty, and he's still getting bullied and told to, you know, go and knock on the neighbours. It's great. Doors. I love that. I mean, I'm the same age as you, by the sound of it, and I love the fact that in our forties, you can still get told off for getting dirty at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a comment there that I will not make. I know there are various comments you attempted to make, Michael, and I, I can well imagine. No, you mentioned the Smiths. Yeah, we, we uh, just before we began, I tried to give Michael a lightning quick briefing on the Smiths and Morrissey. Our musical worlds. How did that go? Well, it's not. It's a, to be fair, I didn't quite know a comp- Morrissey was gay. There you go. That's what I'm up against here, Shan. No idea. Um, <laughs> uh, well, regular listeners to the podcast will know Michael and I have almost entirely. There's not much overlap between no. the Venn diagrams of our cultural worlds. And I was a huge uh, indie fan growing up, and I was a very big fan of the Smiths. So, and the reason this has come up is that Sean's forthcoming show is called This Charming Man after uh, one of the Smiths' sort of defining songs. We should um, probably say for listeners my age, the Smiths are a band. Sorry, we're going to go right back to basic first yes. principles here. Yeah, Not blacksmiths, <laughs> they don't make horseshoes, they what? make what I believe is music. I think what I'll do, I definitely believe it is music. Um, I'll, I'll do a very, very quick sort of catch-up for you and sure. I'll, I'll pass it on to Sean because it's sort of more relevant what she has said about them. But uh, essentially, Michael... And anyone else uh, listening who uh, requires this primer, the Smiths were very, very, quite short-lived, but hugely successful band in the 80s. Playing Like Spice Girls, they were quite short-lived too. There aren't many parallels between them and the Spice Girls, but yes, I suppose that's one. <laughs> and um, they played what we now call indie, like jangly guitar pop. Um, <laughs> jangly guitar pop, lovely. That's what the NME would have said, that the will have said at the time. Um, and... But the reason they're particularly notable culturally is that they were fronted by uh, openly gay, as people used to say, Morrissey, and not just gay, but quite flamboyantly and adventurously gay. He, a lot of the lyrics reference Oscar Wilde or... He, but a very different type to Bowie. Different, different to Bowie, but a similar sense. Well, what, maybe what's different for Bowie was that in other ways, the Smiths looked and sounded like a pretty traditional hetero guitar band. The rest of them weren't gay. The music is what you think of as, like... Very brilliant because the guitarist Johnny Marr is a genius and he wrote most of the tunes. But so that was why it was interesting. It was one of the first times that a traditional looking male guitar band had been fronted by someone that was so, so gay. So Morrissey became basically... On a scale of one to gay, well, he was like so, so gay. It's probably not. It's for you two to, to work out exactly <laughs> on the where he's on the gay, gay scale. Um, so, so that's... And they, they were together for a few years. They left a legacy of like brilliant pop songs which very popular with people like me. But then the relationship between the fans and the band went strange because Morrissey went on to have a solo career where he began to basically express more and more troubling political views. Let's pause there, though. So yes, when did you th- kind of come into oh, uh, yeah. cognizance? Cognizance, well, that was a good word. Basically, I'll just finish by saying that this is part of the reason I thought, Sean, I wanted to talk to Sean about this, is that... I believe the show is partly about how disappointing male role models can be. Right. And uh, that is entirely up our street. So those are, you now have all the facts and I'll shut up for a bit. <laughs> so when did you kind of become aware of the Smiths, Sean? So for me, um, the Smiths are a bit beyond my age bracket. Like I'd say like I'm a decade too young really to have, to have listened to them in, in yeah, their same, prime same, kind yeah. of thing. But it's the music that like my my older cousins will have listened to. So it like when the when the queer fella and the professor were upstairs <laughs> at Minan and Grandad's that music will have will have drifted God help us if that bit is edited out. Um, yeah we'll try and be well. sensitive there. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, when uh, when my older cousins would have been like upstairs at my nan and granddad's, they'd have been playing the Smiths and it would have sort of, you know, drifted downstairs and into my psyche, I suppose. And then when I heard the music a little bit later on, like in my 20s, um, I heard, heard the music again and just related to it instantly because I think the important thing with the Smiths is not only was it this sort of genderqueer, um, quite feminine man, um, it was also, you know, a working class right. band, a working class person, you know, everything they sung about, it was like, the, you know, the, the gritty northern backdrop and the forbidden love and the poetic tragedy. And it was really just like, you know, when you have that feeling where, where you just know that someone is singing yeah. your life. Like it just, I like felt Taylor so Swift, connected. Really. As I imagined, yeah. <laughs> as I imagined you did to the Spice Girls or whoever, like it's just that kind of real thing where you just think, God, he's he's literally in my brain wow. and pulling yeah. my thoughts out. And that, I just felt I had to consume yeah. it all. And I just, you know, I just there's fell quite in love an under, with it. Well, not an undercurrent. There's a sort of regular motif of sadness, depression. In fact, some of the some of the lyrics you'd like it if you didn't like the music. There's a famous song called Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, for example. Okay. There's a song called Cemetery Gates, which is just about hanging around in graveyards. Looked into my diary then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, see, what's interesting for me is, obviously growing up Southern and not really working class, I, it wasn't singing my life, but there's this incredible synthesis between these, like, as Sean says, these like, gritty Mancunian backdrops and then this floral literary poetry and Morrissey was the key figure in bringing those worlds together which is why he became such an icon and then well I'll let Sean take up the story of uh, later Morrissey Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, an important thing to remember is like he was this queer icon, he was like really quite like gender fluid. He speaks about being of like a third gender sometimes. It was the first like time that. I'd ever heard and, that, uh, yeah, idea. Heterosexual yeah. men would, yeah, like heterosexual men would would jump onto the stage to mm. go and hug him. Like they were, he, he had this magical control. It was like he was the first person that told heterosexual men that they could feel things, like that. That's how it felt, yeah. you know what I mean? It was almost like he gave people permission yeah. to to be in touch with with their emotions um but yeah then he sort of <laughs> i don't know he just slid to the right in quite a i don't know in quite a dramatic way really in the a lot of the stuff that he 
spouts now is quite well it's very right wing um racist anti immigration um just you know very like he he actually had he had an album didn't he called England is mine um and he very much sort of his solo work really sort of does embody um England for the mm. English and um you know he doesn't like he's spoken out about lots of people that he doesn't mm. like and that he feels that you know he's called people subspecies and things like that whole groups of people in so, fact Michael has one experience of yeah, Morrissey so which you, is which I'll let you yeah I, well, like yeah. I have read that like the National Front and stuff have used his concerts as like places to meet yeah so, so like my that. experience my experience of him is that I've been in in a room where Morrissey has been playing and the there's a real sense of violence and of danger of, from it feels um with great respect to the football fan in the room like a like a terrifying football match people are I've cheering they're cheering they are throwing things around on stage off stage it feels really intimidating and it's really fascinating then that this person who kind of felt like this this role model this this kind of icon for you growing up has shifted in such a way what do you think well there's two questions well, that, i suppose uh, so, uh, quickly at this point this is where i literally roll up my jumper to reveal i have a football top on because i'm going to a football that's match red straight is from that manchester tonight. united wash your mouth out pal what other colors are red uh, do you know which team i support um oh it's something to do with bristol that will do anyway back to the <laughs> back to the much more important question yeah because it, it, even for me as a, as a like just as a fan of his work and music is very odd to see somebody tarnished in this way. But yeah, I suppose for both of you, what is it like to see a gay icon become almost the Well, opposite? I didn't know who he was before. No. I suppose it's I, more relevant for you, I suppose it is, yeah. <laughs> We're lost. We're lost for you, if Taylor concerts, ten, if, if yeah. Little Mix concerts or Taylor Swift concerts became this, I would be bereft. No, to, to be fair, given that you, you came in not knowing Morrissey was gay, I don't think you, it's not been that <laughs> difficult a transition for you. But it must have been quite hard for you to watch happen, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because, you know, you think you've found this this role model and this, this beautiful person that, you know, you want to do... Like, you know, I, I dress like him. I wear the same glasses. I do my hair like him. Like, you know, this whole kind of thing that I'm I'm going to, he's my icon. But then he's actually not because all of these horrible things. And how do we align ourselves when our role models go bad, yeah. really? And can we just cherry pick the good stuff or are we are we stuck with all of it? You know, and what? And, it, you know, it's not just our it's not just our role models within the public eye that are like that. You know, we there's problematic things from everyone. So you know, you, your dad or your granddad or, or whoever that you you see as as a wonderful influential role model has probably got something quite dark and horrible there that you're not really sure what to do about. So yeah, mm. it's just yeah. about working out what you do with it and not not shouldering it i guess you know just saying well we can cherry pick certain bits um and we don't have to carry the sins of our fathers i guess yeah which is a theme that comes up quite a bit like, to what extent we can separate ourselves from the men that once were our role models but we haven't talked about it much with with uh, reference to celebrity because it is quite unusual that someone goes on a journey like morrissey where in one lifetime he inspires a whole huge chunk of population and then repels those same people i mean i just wonder like has he been on that journey or hasn't he like mm. i you know some people will say you get more right wing as you get older i think that's quite a, a trope yeah. that's sort of trotted out by a lot of people and you know to look at it that might be what's happened but i think it's more like you know do, is he just more in a place where he's not asked what people think of him so he's happy to spout mm. his views whereas previously he kept them hidden? yeah because like you know is it to be it, fair there was the odd 
Yeah, there was the old song in the Smiths canon, which with hindsight, you'd look at lyrics and think, well, hang on. But it's a bit like that you talk about with that photo. Once you know, you know, it's, you know, like, there, there, was, there were accusations of racism certainly leveled at him way back. But those things get blown mm -hmm. away. And then suddenly later on. So it sounds right. Maybe it wasn't as much of a journey as it looked. Maybe it was just we saw the side of him we wanted to see for a long time and the rest of it we didn't have to see. Do you remember, Sean, a point when your when your perception of him changed? Like what wh when you kind of went from idolizing to kind of unpicking that? Um, I think it was a gradual thing. Mm. I think I would say it was first of all, you know, a journey with listening to the music, and then, um, you know, <laughs> the good thing about Morrissey is his Smith's work is the best, um, and his solo stuff ain't that great. So um, <laughs> I, I was just I was just going to say it's helped people like me and Sean to let go of him that yeah. his music is getting shitter as he like goes on as well. It's so great hardship <laughs> to sort of you know let go of that. Like we can we can listen to the earlier work <laughs> before those views were were published. Um, we've still we've still got that Smith stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you know I sort of went on a journey with the music and listening to it all and then sort of listened to some of the solo stuff and was like not not really a fan of this and then the more I looked into it I was like oh okay he's a a really damaged twisted um individual with with some really damaging views that I do not want to be on board with yeah what's what's difficult like I didn't I don't remember a specific moment either, but I do remember going to see him as a student and the crowd already, the crowd that he attracted was very different from what I imagined. They were very different from the crowd that I saw around me. And partly that's because like Sean, I was slightly too young to have been an original Smiths fan, but it wasn't like going to say the Pixies or any of these other, like it, it didn't feel quite right. But also he, he um, well, there's a, there's a lot of aspects to it, I suppose. But what's frustrating about it is you still see glimpses of this beautiful poetic talent. His early, his first solo stuff, for example, he had a well-known hit called Every Day is Like Sunday, which is just about the experience of being in a shit seaside town and like being listless and there's just nothing you can do to cheer yourself up. Like his, his eye for observational detail in songwriting is extraordinary, which is why it's disappointing that it seems more but interesting two things, than just uh, I mean, a big thing that I'm getting now. from therapy at the moment is two things can be true. Someone can be yeah. talented and a dickhead. Well, those two things can exist. Yeah, of course, and like the history books are littered with men in particular who have been talented, but a dickhead. <laughs> I, I, I am one, but like, but it's unusual to see someone become like a bad guy quite to the extent he has. I think. Are there any um, examples of masculinity that you can think of, Shan, that haven't gone bad? Yeah, <laughs> is anyone now that you think is a good example? <laughs> not a single one. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, the dog's not too bad, but he has had his balls off. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what we're gonna have to do in the end i think you know for me like masculinity femininity are all existing on this spectrum now i mean they always have but you know mm. people people are now more open to that and i think that be, you know before it was men or masculine and this is this is how it is now we see masculinity in lots of different ways yeah. and we see femininity in lots of different ways and you know i really love that i have friends who are um, you know, assigned male at birth, but they have, they may identify as male, but they have a real femininity to them and that softness and that, you know, sort of, um, I also know people who are, you know, I identify as female or assigned female at birth, but have, you know, a real sense of masculinity around them. And, and then the sort of safeness that comes with that. And, the, mm. you know, I, I love that it doesn't have to be tied to what 
what's between your legs and it you know it's much yeah. more fluid and you know you can be more more feminine one day and more masculine the next day and I love that you know yeah it's been something that I've learned about by doing this podcast I mean I had only the, a basic idea of how many different ways people visualize gender and sexuality when we began this it's so much more fun that way as well I think it was um who was it they called it a buffet Someone Tom, used... Tom Reed Wilson, I think, called it like a, the buffet of gender and you get nice. to go up in the morning and decide which bits you want. And then yeah, whereas that. a guy like me basically just eats the same meal over and over again, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. <laughs> that's the parallel we're using. <laughs> the plain Weetabix, the hard Weetabix. I found out, found out recently people people butter their Weetabix. I have heard of that happening, but Isn't I don't think it ought to be encouraged. Isn't that awful? But, no, I draw the line at that. I mean, go, go where you want on the buffet of gender, but don't start buttering Weetabix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let's start oppressing the people who truly do deserve it. I'd rather be a right-wing Morrissey fan, to be honest. <laughs> and on that note, shall we go to our final question? I think we should. Yes, you're good at asking this question, Michael. So our final question is all about building a person who would be able to thrive in this world that we live in now. So what- I, I reckon Sean will appreciate the, the Build-A-Bear the builder bear and um, every time i try not to mention builder bear and every time you mention it I, i'm like a dog with a bone i, I will not let go of it they, they don't sponsor us is, is the problem uh, <laughs> yeah we have no association with builder bear but and we haven't asked either in their defense in the early days of the podcast we would always say if you were building a, a man like builder bear and it became a sort of catchphrase and we sort of started to fantasize that builder bear would get interested in this one day but they're not <laughs> turns out they haven't listened um but if you were to build a person like you might at a well-known workshop that you find <laughs> in shopping centers across the uk <laughs> um, what three qualities might you build into them? Well, interestingly, on the subject of Build-A-Bear, when I used to work in retail, I was always jealous of the people that work there. And the reason being that the Build-A-Bear stats uniform was chinos and a denim shirt. Perfect. <laughs> it's brought us around full circle. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, brilliant. That's Absolutely my only brilliant. connection with Builderbear, but um, yeah, it, I think <laughs> oh, it's more it's of a connection more... than we have, Shan. So yeah, yeah, it's more than most of our guests have. To be fair, I'm delighted. Been there, that. done that, got the uniform. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I if I was to build a person <laughs> like a Builderbear, I think um, one of the most important things for for certainly for everyone to have, but certainly a lot of men to have, I think, is a sense of humility, like. Just knowing that you're not as important as you might think you are. Like, I think <laughs> these men, they need taking down a peg or two, to be honest, lads. I think <laughs> just that thing of, you know, being able to sort of, to know that you're not, you're not the be all and end all. Like, I remember th this must show how much there is a lack of humility from a lot of people, because I remember this from when I was in school. So we're doing GCSE maths and our teacher who was male, I remember, this stands out in my mind, he said, he was trying to teach us something, I don't know what it was, but um, we, none of us could understand, none of us could get it, and he kind of went, he went, right, he said, I'm going to go through this one more time, he said, and if you still don't get it, I'm going to get another teacher to come in and teach it to you, because it must be something wrong with the way I'm explaining it. And the fact that I still remember yeah, that now as being yeah. like a standout event in my life like that you know because no one had ever ever said that <laughs> yeah it shows you how rarely people do that yeah. had before or since sort of gone oh do you know what the problem might actually be with the way i'm doing this not the way you're doing it and like i just think People could do with a bit more of that, you yeah. know? Uh, to be fair, at least with comedians, we're normally neurotic enough to like, I've been known to say stuff on stage like, well, maybe you'll enjoy the next guy more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got humility. Humility is very humility good. Yeah. Is on humility. The list. I want to say spatial awareness. 
um, because I'm sick of them getting close to me, <laughs> breathing on me. Good God, back off, man. Like, what What about my demeanor or physique is inviting you to stand that close to me in a queue or in a supermarket or wherever? Just back off and get some awareness of space. And while we're on it, close your knees. They don't need to be that yeah. wide on a tube, on a, on the, or you're sitting down on the tube, and their knees are at like 10 to 2. I don't understand. And yet sometimes you'd be delighted with the knees that far well, apart. Well, so when, when I ask, when I ask, the tube is rarely the place I agree. Yeah, so a sense of spatial awareness, I think a lot of men are lacking in that. That's and, very nice. You know, I'd like, I'd like I've to not had that, that before. More of that. And then your final one. The final thing for me would be creativity and I think that that is because most of the men that I look at in my life that I like (laughs) and that I have an affinity for or fondness for they're all creative types you know they're all sort of I guess the soft gentle beta males I guess you could call them the sort of people who I don't know if just being a creative or having a, a thread of creativity in you kind of distills that macho alphaness or whether it's a hormonal thing. I don't know. But um, I think creativity is, is a winner. And the more creative people tend to be, the more I like them, I guess. Yeah, I think it's something to do with the fact that creativity almost forces you to think about what other people are thinking and feeling and experiencing. So yeah. perhaps, you know, it's something to do with that, I think. I mean, not all... Not Maybe all writers or comedians are, you know. Into, like, creativity leads into empathy because you start to think about other people's perspective, how they're viewing your mm. art, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's something mm. like that. Yeah. Mm. That's a, that is a great set of that's answers. A, that's a very me. nice. I, I particularly like spatial awareness. The first time we've had it, but it definitely, definitely lands. I'm going to be staying so far away from people on my way home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Sean. Uh, where can people find you if they want to? Yeah, and also if you want, where can they find stuff about best in class, your... Um, yeah, so you can find you can find me online. I'm on Instagram at Sean Davis Comedy. I'm on Twitter at Morrissey's Quiff. Um, you can find <laughs> stuff about best in class through either of those things as well, or at We Are Best in Class on Instagram and Facebook. It, we've got a website as well. Just Google us. Do you know what I mean? Um, you can <laughs> yeah. We've got shows coming up at various different places they're all on my link tree so yeah do support us and get involved it's quite funny to me that we always ask people how can you be found but the answer obviously is always just, just, google. just google me yeah just give it a google just have a look yeah, just google me give me a google <laughs> find me all the internet boys. thanks so much that's that great. great thanks thanks shannon you can now go back to whatever else you're doing <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me <laughs> that was shan davis and I think we touched upon it in the episode, but if you're interested in hearing Sean talk quite a bit more about gender, masculinity, um, and so on, a show This Charming Man, a Smith song, of course, is on this August at the Edinburgh Fringe, produced by none other than Impatient Productions, my team. So we're all great fans of Sean. I should quickly say a brief RIP to Andy Rourke, the bassist from The Smiths, who um, passed away since we did that recording. This is a moment to think about him and his work. Uh, as I say, I hope you enjoyed the episode and um, will seek out Sean's many works in the future. It's been a pleasure once again to solo outro this episode of Mankind and we will join you once more in your uh, chosen place of listening next week. Thank you. Hold up. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.